Hello, everyone. Welcome to your next stop. Again, every time I have a guest, I say it, but I have to say it because if I don't say it, it just doesn't feel like your next stop episode. So I am super excited. This is very close to my heart. And I met Georgina Emerson, who is teachaboutwomen.org. And so when she started telling me her story, I knew I, I had to have her on your next stop so you guys can hear what this amazing woman is doing out in the world. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and uh, to kind of tell my story, not just about you know, why it's so important to teach about women in schools, but also about how sometimes you need to take a dive and or take a leap and really kind of change careers and how it can be scary, but wonderful. Welcome to your next stop. This is Juliet Hahn. I am a wife, mom, virtual coach, public speaker, and crazy obsessed dog lover. I am so honored to be able to take you into the life of someone that has followed a passion. Every week, I hope you are as inspired as I am. Welcome to your next stop. All right. So I would love for you just to take my listeners. They know we just dive into it. Kind of a little background. Where did you grow up? You know, what did you, if you went to university, what did you study? And then how you kind of pivoted and, and you know, started teachaboutwomen.org? Sure. Uh, so <laughs> I grew up in New York City. Uh, and I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher and a writer. And that looked like different things at different times. Uh, when I graduated from college, I graduated from uh, Dartmouth in 2009. And pretty much like the day I graduated, I, uh, I moved to Paris. Uh, I asked my parents to pay for the plane ticket. And then I started teaching English uh, to support myself. I lived in like a little attic, you know, about probably about the size of this room with like a lofted bed. Um, and I, I was it. writing poetry. I, every week I was doing performances. Some of them were very bad. Uh, <laughs> and some of them were <laughs> successful. <laughs> um, and then, you know... It kind of came to that I wanted to have a, you know, a little bit more of a settled life. Uh, so I came back to the States uh, and I started teaching. I started teaching in high school, teaching high school. You did? Okay. Yeah. So how long were you in Paris? I love that. Uh, four years. Among other things, we, uh, we started an underground boxing ring for poets, um, which, uh, <laughs> you know, that went pretty well. I'm still undefeated, but I also think cause I was, I'm, I'm 5'10 and most of my opponents were like 5'2 and in boxing, that just means you win. So I don't think. Totally. And well, and you also, you know, you, you grew up in, in New York city. I mean, not that you probably grew up in the main streets of New York city, but you learn how to kind of, you know, navigate yourself. Um, and so maybe that, that, that gave, what is the quote? Um, and I'm going to be, my husband actually, when he listens to this, he's gonna be like, I can't believe it. Cause I am terrible at quoting movies, but I love movies, but flight fight club, right. Cause that all of a sudden that's what the fight club for poets. What is it? You can't there. They have a whole thing. If, if you haven't seen it, maybe, you know, we broke that rule all the time. All we did was talk about about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And it was just women or did you also fight men poets? So I, I only fought women. We, we gender segregated. Um, so there were, uh, boys fighting boys and then, uh, you know, girls fighting girls. Um, but I'll never forget, we invited, you know, like 200 people to this basement and we kind of sang poetry at each other a little bit. And then 
you know, the bell danged and nobody really thought that we were going to throw real punches because we'd been practicing. And there was just, I'd never heard in my whole life, like 200 people collectively go, Oh my God, they're fighting. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Cause right. The the whole concept of it is kind of funny. I have to say when my son was, uh, I mean, he was young and he would die if he knew I'm telling the story, but he probably was like in second grade and they were learning about Bruce Lee. And we had moved from New York to, to, to a, like a Connecticut suburb. And he's like, mom, you know what? They just dropped Bruce Lee off like in, in an area. And, and he just like learned how to fight, find a place to drop me so I can start fighting. And we were like, yeah, I was like, honey, uh, in Connecticut, I don't really think you'd do that. But also I think if you got one hit, you would freak. Like he, he was not like that kind of kid. He was not an aggressive kid. So it was kind of funny that he was just fascinated by Bruce Lee, but it was so funny. Cause it wasn't just once that he has to sue. He's like, well, can we go to like the city or something? I just want to, and I'm like, honey, I don't know that like anyone would actually like fight a second grader. I don't, I mean, I think that's like, I think that's like a really tough thing that you're going to find. Mean streets, you know. (laughs) But the whole concept of it made me, made us die laughing. Cause I was like, if he got hit once, he would be like, holy crap. Oh, that actually really hurts. I don't think I like this, you know, I mean, because he was not that type of kid. So and to really deliver a punch that we wore like headgear and stuff and, you know, gloves, but like to really like deliver, a punch, you have to practice that, like, because you're just so at least I was I was so unused to the idea, like, I'm not gonna punch this person in the head, like, you know, right. Um, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. But you obviously learned a lot of really cool things when you were in Paris for four years, which I love. You know, one of the things that I feel like I learned that was so great was, um, having to come up with performances and like things to say about, you know, you know, boxing and all that every week. It's like you practice that creativity because it's a muscle, you know, you have to right. you have to say like, I'm going to make up new things. I'm going to like take these risks. And I feel like I just, I got really good at putting myself out there every week and saying sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad, but I'm doing it every week. And you, and you build up, um, I think not just some resilience, but also you build up that creativity and get to know yourself a little bit better. Right. Which is so cool. Now, what made you choose Paris out of all the other places in the world? Oh, geez. Um, you know, I'm from New York. I had, I had just, I had just come out as, as gay and I was so excited. And I think that if I weren't from New York city, I would have moved to New York city. Um, right, right, but right. since I was from there, you know, it was a time when, you know, I didn't have a, a hard coming out story or anything like that, but I needed to find a new way of being myself. So yeah, I needed a, a, a new place. Um, and so I had learned French. I got an offer from the Peace Corps to go to uh, Francophone Sub-Saharan Africa. And I was kind of like, I don't know, Paris sounds more fun. <laughs> Um, right. so right. have, uh, I'm still not, not served in the Peace Corps, um, but I have spent a lot of time in beautiful cities, you know, meeting wonderful people. So, right. I love that. I love that. Okay. So you came home, you decided, okay, so you started teaching and you, you taught in New York, in New York city high school. I did. I taught, I taught in New York city, um, both public and private schools. And uh, I taught ninth grade, mostly ninth grade history. Uh, but then I fell into, because sort of no one else was doing it, teaching a feminism course. And I sort of became like the go-to person for like anything about feminism, which was a little ironic because I majored in history of religion in school and Renaissance studies. Right. Uh, so I had to like, I was like, okay, I've got to read Simone de Beauvoir. Like I, you know, I know French, I can read some of it in the original, some of it in translation. And I just realized I was like, I've got to learn as much as I can about this. And right. I, there came a day when I decided to order a book by an amazing historian. Her name's Mary Beard. And she'd written this amazing book about Rome that's like 600 pages. And I was like, and she came out with a new book called Women in Power. And I was like, well, 
I got to read this. Like I'm teaching a feminism course, right. you know, I, uh, you know, I want to make sure that I'm teaching history in a way that includes women. So I went and I, I, I ordered the book on Amazon and it arrived and it is like this big. It's like 80 pages. Oh, and I was expecting like a big book, you know? And and, then it right. comes, and it's like this teeny tiny book. And I was like, if this is all we have to say as a society about women in power, then like we have a problem here, ladies. Um, right. So I just, it, and then it kind of went down this rabbit hole of looking as a history teacher. I was like, what do we teach about women? So I looked in the educational guidelines for New York City, uh, California, Texas, all the major ones, California, uh, excuse me, Connecticut. And I saw that most high school students graduate high school having heard the names of fewer than 10 women total in all four years. That's terrible. It's terrible. And there's usually, <laughs> um, usually it's, it's in the U.S. history course. It's like Eleanor Roosevelt and Rosa Parks. Um, and then with anything else, you would never think that women existed before the 20th century. You'd never think that they worked. You never think that they contributed to dynasties and helped build the world power structure, helped build our economy, any of those things. And so I was just realizing that like, if we're teaching young people that this is how the world has always worked and we're not including women in it, then no wonder we're having so much trouble building a world where men and women can be on equal footing. Right. And you know, the other thing is it's, it's so, I mean, they still to this day, I mean, I know when I like talk to my kids, like they still teach those same 10 women, right? They, they don't, <laughs> which is maddening. I mean, and it's not just history. They like when I, my son came home and we are in a very good, good school district and he came home and, and was telling me about the books he was reading. I was like, wait, I think those are the books I was reading. I was like, this is so silly to me that they're, they haven't evolved and, and it's crazy. So I have to take you back to a story and my brother would absolutely die. So he, my parents are divorced. So he was probably five when my parents got divorced. My dad was involved in our life, but there's, uh, he has four sisters and a mom, right? So there was, you know, a lot of us women that he was being raised by. And they were on the bus, I guess, in Philadelphia. And my brother, this was when before my dad, before my parents got divorced, but he was probably like three. And he like gasped. And my mom was like, what's wrong? And he's like, there's a lady driving the bus. I think we need to get off. And he, my mom was like, excuse me, what are you talking about? He's like, ladies don't drive buses. That's, you know, that that's like, you know, the big, like the big machinery he was like picturing. And this wasn't, obviously he wasn't in school, but it was something that my mom was like, Oh my gosh, like we are raising him with all these women. And he like literally was like, I, I don't think this is right. This is not right. This is, and he was like starting to get panicked. And my mom was like, honey, that woman can do anything. <laughs> and then of course came home and told us and we were all like, dude. And now he was little and he was like the king of our, our world. But we were like, oh, we need to do a better job. Okay, we're sorry. Yes, we can drive the bus. We can actually build the bus. We probably can lift the bus. We're better than you. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's a crazy story. <laughs> um, but it was so, I, I mean, my mom literally, who is very, I mean, I think, you know, is, is you know, we are very liberal, liberal, liberal family in that sense of the, you know, growing up. Um, and she was like horrified. She's like, oh my God, where, why would you say that? Like wh whatever, you know, made you think that? And he, and it was because he really never saw a woman driving a bus, you know, it was more of that. Like, it was like, he's been on buses before and it was just all of a sudden, he was thinking of like, my mom's my caregiver, my, you know, my sisters do different things, but he wasn't thinking of a woman as a bus driver. But 
you know, and we didn't live in a sexist house. So it was kind of very, very much of a surprise to be like, well, wait a second, we need to teach differently here. Like this is something that obviously we've missed. <laughs> you know, and, and I think it's, it's great that you're doing that, but you've hit upon something really important that you can teach whatever you want in your household, but if they're going to school and getting all these messages, you know, if not one woman is named in a science or a math class, or they're, they're saying like, oh, this is how nations are built. And they only ever mention the men involved. Uh, then no matter how egalitarian your household is, kids are still getting these really funny mixed messages. Right. And, and right, as you said, like it doesn't, like you could be the most, uh, you know, talking about equal genders, equal sex in your house, but right. As you keep hearing, you don't hear a woman's name and it's not that you're thinking, oh, women can't do it, but you're just assuming, oh, I guess they couldn't because they weren't mentioned. Right. And it's not like a negative or a positive. And that's where you are so right. We need to be teaching differently when we're talking to our kids. It's not just saying like, you know, nowadays things are, are, you know, I mean, so much more, you know, men and women, uh, you know, eat the equal world and all of that, which there's times where I also have a problem with, cause I'm like, listen, can't we, we, it, it's such an individual thing. It doesn't matter if I have a vagina and you have a penis, if you're better at that, good for you. I don't think you should get the job because you have a penis and I should get the job because I have a vagina. If you're better then go for it. So I have like, there are times where I get really frustrated with that because I think sometimes it's also putting us in the situation where it's like, oh, we just got it because we have a vagina. Right. It's a, a harmful kind of story to tell. Oh, she got that job because of this or, or, you know, this person of color got that job just because they're a person of color and not because of their, you know, immense qualifications. Exactly. And that's where we have to be better. Right. And, and not set people up for failure either. You know, there are a lot of stories about sort of, you know, failing companies being like, let's put a woman in charge and maybe, you know, and then, and then women are sort of left holding, they've kind of been handed a bomb that then explodes on their watch, you know? So. Right. And then it's their fault. Right. Yeah. And that's where I think as a society, we have to be better because it is really, uh, and we're, we're so not there. We're so far from it. And as you know, yes, we keep getting better where we're acknowledging it. But again, as you said, like, it's like, oh, oh, let's just put a woman in that, in that position because we need to check off our human resources thing, but they're not more qualified. And so that's, that's again, then putting it in and it's just, it has to be better. And I, I so agree with you. So that's why I can't wait to kind of jump in into how you found teachaboutwomen.org and, and what your, you know, what the plans are for that. So please. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it, it became very clear to me. I was like, okay, I'm going to write a, I'm going to write the book that I thought that Mary Beard had written. I'm going to write a book about teaching about women, gender, and power for high school history classes. You know, as a high school history teacher, I was like, I think I can do this. You know, there's lots of, of fronts for this fight, right? There's some people who are in policy, some people who are in HR, but me, the, the fight I can do is, is writing this book for history classrooms. Um, so I think that's right. so important to figure out, like, where do you fit into this, like, larger mosaic, which is a lot about your your strengths, right? Um, your strengths and your yes. interests. Uh, but, you know, in talking to other teachers, other people, they were like, well, the problem's not just history class. It's science classes, um, where girls tend to self-select out of high-level math and science classes, uh, mostly before the age of 14. So that's how young it starts, that they're not on the track to become you know, doctors and engineers. Uh, and then I realized like, it couldn't just be me. I need to build like a whole team of people and talk to people. And how can we make gender equity part of every aspect of school life? Um, so now we're 20 teachers um, and we're doing all sorts of programs from admissions to curriculum, which is kind of what I do, uh, to even hiring policies. You know, how do you make sure that the faculty that 
you're you're hiring and, and building really represents the the community. Um, so it it became this like really amazing adventure where I had to draw on. I think interpersonal skills I didn't even know I had, you know, um, because, you know, writing is so solitary. um, But I knew that it had to be something that was more outward facing, that it had to be about building a community. So that's why where the group of teachers came in. And that's why I went the nonprofit route, because I wanted supporters to be able to to kind of join the circle and say, well, this is what we think gender equity needs to look like uh, in schools so that when people get to workplaces and then and, and go into business or you know, go into, you know, co- you know, the corporate sphere or anything like that, that that girls and young women have the skills uh, that they need in those situations. And boys and men have the skills to be allies. Right, which I love, which I love because it's right. It's 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 more of a whole picture, not just one kind of one one tunnel. It's there's a lot of different things there. Do you feel that? And you might not know this, so please, if you're like, I have no idea, that's totally fine. But do you feel that the United States is in a different section, like when you were in Paris, or because you were teaching there as well, um, or in other countries as you kind of gone down this journey? Do you feel that there's other countries that are way ahead of us and doing it more the way you would want to, or have you? Have have you ever explored that? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think um, better and worse is hard. I think that the people are doing it differently. Uh, so differently in the in the states, I think that um, that in that all sorts of movements have been a little bit more straightforward. You know, it's kind of like, hey, like if there are no women on the board, there are no women in the C suite, um, and and I think we've been able to connect that with. Um, a culture of maybe uh, um, of lowered expectations, as well as a culture of harassment with the Me Too movement. France has like a whole other relationship with that kind of thing. Uh, and they're like, well, a woman okay. has to, you know, accept advances in a certain way. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, oh. And so in some ways, I think that the U.S. has... Um, has been able to do kind of a reckoning with uh, the ways that men and women treat each other uh, in a way that's been, I, I think, you know, we're moving in, in the right direction. Um, but that said that there are, there are plenty of countries that have been able to have a woman in charge. Um, Angela Merkel, um, even Margaret Thatcher in England, um, who's a very uh, conservative leader. Um, and, and the U.S. hasn't gotten there yet. You know, we haven't been able to have, you know, a woman in charge. Um, a woman as the vice president, a woman of, the, of color as the vice president is amazing. Um, but she's not the head, right? Um, so I think that we have a lot, of, a lot of work to do there to say, like, what are our unconscious assumptions about what a woman can do and what women should do um, that we have to sort of um, okay. reckon with? And do you also see, which I'm sure it is, but again, I'm not, you know, I don't know because this is not my, my field of expertise, but do you feel in certain parts of the country, you know, it is a different way just because, you know, the South, if, if you think about the United States, you think about different sections, right? And you think, okay, we have more progressive or more, you know, liberal or more, you know, conservative, but then there's also, I feel like it goes even deeper, right? You know, there's just more history in certain areas. And so it's just brought differently. So can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. So I have, um, I haven't been very lucky that I, you know, I grew up in New York City and and just recently, about two years ago, moved to Austin, Texas, which is a very different uh, culture of um, a very different gender culture, um, let's say. And I think right. that uh, coming from 
from New York city. Um, I had a lot of expectations about what, what that would really look like. But what I've noticed is actually, especially in, in sort of history and monuments, there is a lot of acknowledgement about, um, women, women helping to build Texas. Um, for everything from, you know, frontier life to its big institutions, UT Austin has a lot of buildings named after women, um, a lot of acknowledgement of women's, women's accomplishments. And so I think that part of, I think that some of the differences come not just from thinking like what, that maybe women have more access to power in, let's say, like an East Coast progressive sense. But I think that in, in different cultures, in the maybe in the South, um, in the middle of the country, they have a different definition of what power looks like, right? That and that and that power is right. something that is is a little bit more can be kind of more rooted in. Um, in femininity. And, and I say this, like I'm speaking in, in broad strokes and, and I want to um, make right. sure that we're acknowledging that like, you know, trans folks and people who want to like shatter the gender binary are, um, should be a part of this, a, a part of this conversation. But I do think like um, that the South has a history of matriarchs um, that maybe is a little bit, a little bit stronger than um, even in, in New England, we have all of these uh, women leading churches, establishing schools and taking these kind of semi-public roles. And then you have women, you know, again, just kind of in general um, to generalize in the South, really taking the, um, the like domestic roles, like incredibly seriously and kind of expanding what it means to take care of your community. Yeah. And I love that you touched on that because it really is, it's, it's how you view power. And I think that's a really important thing or authority. I shouldn't say power. Sometimes power is a negative word, but how you view authority. And so I think that that's true. Like I would never have thought Texas and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from the East coast as well. Um, I'm not a history buff at all. So take, take that for what it is. Um, I find it interesting, but it's not my thing, but I just from, I guess, generalizations we could say, which, you know, we all generalize. I try not to, cause I don't like, cause there's so many generalizations that are, you know, generalizations that are not true, but generalization about Texas, I would never have thought that there was a lot of, you know, buildings named after women in a different way that you just explained that. So I think that's nice to hear. Um, and again, we shouldn't just assume things because we hear certain things, whether it's in the media or from someone else, it's more, we should live it and learn it. Right. Yeah. And, and that said, the, um, Texas state legislature has, uh, fewer women than the national average. Um, and women are slightly more likely to live in poverty than men in Texas, which is usually not the case in, um, in other, in other parts of the country. And so in other parts of the country, it's, right? It's a mix. <laughs> right. Right. Um, well, I love how you explained both. Stay tuned for a quick message from my sponsor. Hi, my name is Shari Hodes, and I'm the president of Aura Limited, a proud all-women-owned brand marketing and global sourcing agency. Simply put, we provide fashion-forward swag for any and all of your branding needs. Please visit us at www.auralimitedspelledout.com. So when you decided, and I love the the whole the whole way that you kind of got with the book. I love how you pictured that and explained the book that is Mary Beard, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. That it came and you were like, wait a second. And so then this took you down this journey of, okay, I need to, I need to kind of dive into this. So can you take us a little bit into where and what teach about women.org, you know, what, what you guys are doing right now in the present? Sure. 
So we have two main uh, two main programs. One, we're writing uh, curriculum. We're starting in, in high school, but we want to create a whole K-12 program. That means not just history, but English, math, science, languages that really... Um, make sure that uh, gender empowerment and inclusion are part kind of baked in to the program. And then, so we've got the curriculum piece and then we're providing training and certification. So K-12 teachers, admin, staff, people like the social workers or the college guidance counselors can get certified as educators for gender equity. Um, so they can kind of complete our 40 hour training program uh, and and really have the skills to make sure that gender equity is part of everything they do. Got it. Now, again, coming from someone that knows nothing about this, like and, and how to even dive into it. Now, I, I think I've, I shared with you before, I'm dyslexic. My uh, older son is dyslexic. So I understand going to IEP meetings, what we used to call them in Connecticut. I forget what it's terrible. I've been in New York for three years, but I forget what they call them in um, CSE or I think it's called a CSE or something like that. But so I am familiar with that, you know, the special education aspect and know how difficult in public school it is to get your, um, to get what you need unless you fight. Right. And I mean, it's like, or unless you're the biggest advocate for your child and you're really on top of things, which I, 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 I'm pretty good at, I I've gotten really good as the time has gone on. And then he now is these older energy that I think we shouldn't underestimate. Right. So I am very curious how, no, is it a school board that would say, yes, we want to learn more about what you're doing and they're the ones that pass it to get it into the school district? Or is it someone else in a school district that would have to approve it and then bring it your... That, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, it, it depends a little bit. Um, school boards are, you know, they, they sort of decide what the kids will learn. So yes, we, um, we, we approach school boards. And then also typically we approach sort of the dean of studies. Um, sometimes schools have directors of uh, diversity and inclusion. And we talk to a lot of principals. Uh, so we're kind of going school by school and then, um, but school boards also have, have the power to say like, actually we think gender equity should definitely be part of every aspect of school life. Um, and they can hire us to come in and, and, and work with their teachers. Right. So, okay. So it's, and it's, so that's who it's really the, like the principal, the school board, the, that kind of group that says yes. And then I guess they would present it. So again, cause I am, don't understand any of this, but would, do they present it at like a school board meeting and say, this is what we're doing next to bring you guys in? Or is it more simple? on that end for you guys? Oh, um, yeah. So I guess we, we tend to present to the, um, to the, to the school board. Yeah. They like invite us to, they invite us to meetings and, um, and we kind of say what we do. And then, you know, every school has a different, a different process, whether or not they vote on it or they go, you know, discuss it and just weigh the options. Uh, and then, yeah, they, um, and we typically will come in and usually what we do is do the trainings during either, the days after school ends in June or in August, right before the school gets going and then do kind of like regular check-ins throughout the year to make sure that um, people, the teachers really know what the program is. Uh, so it's really right. about the, uh, usually the leadership, the school board and the principals uh, hire us and then we present and we kind of go in and work with the teachers. I love that. So do you guys have a plan? Are you like taking different states and tackling it that way? Or are you, is it kind of just like, okay, I heard about this, this school district that needs this more, or how are you kind of working that through? That's, that's a great question. Uh, because, you know, because most of our, sort of our, our network and our teachers are located in New York city, uh, we're starting with the tri-state area. 
Um, so New Jersey, Got Connecticut, uh, New York, and actually New York in particular, um, because they're such a big state and they have um, very, very laid out educational guidelines. Uh, if you can, if you sort of work with New York, they um, even programs like in Illinois and things like that um, are, are very similar. You know, once you do something for New York, you can you can more easily kind of go into other states. I would say, right. So like if you have something where you can say, hey, listen, New York listened, then and especially, you know, uh, states that are trying to kind of emulate what New York is doing, they would help you there as well. So that's really, that's fascinating. Yeah. And Texas is a harder sell, but um, actually tex- the Texas... Whatever they decide you need to learn in Texas uh, determines most of the curriculum for uh, the the West and the and the Midwest of the United States. Um, so that's uh, that's going to kind of be our step two after the tri-state area. That's so interesting. Now, are you finding anything in the tri-state area? Like, what has been like the biggest hurdle? I guess I can ask. The biggest hurdle has been uh, explaining what the problem is. I think um, because when you start a business. You know, I always think about, um, you know, people who start, you know, like, like these like amazing, like luggage businesses and stuff. They're like, don't you wish that you had like a phone charger in your suitcase? Like, yes. Oh my God, you're solving a problem. <laughs> like, um, and, and I'm not saying it's not like the, mo- you know, it's, it's an important problem, but it's not like gender inequality. Um, so how do you explain to people that girls are grad, there are more female valedictorians than male valedictorians. Um, Girls have higher GPAs. Um, so, you know, people are like, well, what's the, what's the problem? The problem is not passing grades and getting good grades in school, which on some level kind of play out on obedience. Like, are you kind of just good at doing what you're told and playing to people's expectations? The problems are in the world that once you start stepping into leadership roles, once you start having to be in charge, that you're meeting this resistance that your education has not prepared you for. Um, so the biggest hurdle I think has been convincing people who are not in education that there is kind of a broader problem because either people are like, yes, I totally am on board with this. Um, or they're kind of dubious, you know, they don't really believe that, you know, schools need gender equity as part of every aspect of school life. Like they're not sure. Got it. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. I keep doing what you're doing. And can you also, uh, you know, shout out where people can find you? Cause I'm sure there's teachers, school people on school boards that are like, wait a second, I want to know more about yes, this. Please find us at uh, teachaboutwomen.org. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, just at teachaboutwomen. Uh, and we've got a big event. We've got a women's history walkathon happening on May 21st in Central Park. Uh, so as I mentioned before, most students graduate high school having heard the names of fewer than 10 women in all four years. Uh, So this year we're marching to change that uh, and to raise funds for a curriculum that not only includes women, um, but is gender empowering for everybody. See, and I love that you said that gender empowering for everyone, because that like someone might hear this at first, right? And say, oh, this is just another one, another woman trying to get, you know, uh, put the the male down, right? And that's not what you guys are doing. And that's what I, I do want you guys to hear about that because that's something that I would not have on my podcast because I have two sons and I have a husband, you know, and, but it is important because, and I have a daughter. So it is important that, that we're both showing up in history because we have both done things. And again, the thing that's so important is it should be really about the individual 
and not, again, if they have a penis or a vagina, about what their qualifications are and who is the better person to take that role. And I really believe if if what you're, you guys are teaching, that that will give it a little bit more oomph as we go out into the world, because it's just going to be started down at a younger level where you're hearing, oh, about this woman that did something different. Maybe it's not like the building of the, you know, the the pyramids or whatever. And I just threw that out there again. I'm sure there was plenty of women that built pyramids. So I'm not saying that, but maybe they did something that's different that we don't teach about. And it could be really cool. And that's what this podcast is also about. It's about thinking about the different aspects that we all can do to be better or better our own lives. Like one of my podcasts that I just had on, um, it's, uh, I've did a little snippet on my, um, Instagram stories today. She actually was in advertising and decided she loved cheese and wanted to go into making cheese. And this whole business has, it's amazing, but it has grown to where now she's also going into corporations and teaching like teamwork and all these different things and doing like cheese boards and all these like over zoom and has this amazing business because she took a leap of faith because she was a little fascinated by something. And so that's what this podcast is. You got a book, right? That you were like, wait a second, something needs to change. And it, and you were curious. And I think that's, what's so important. You were curious and explored something and then look what it has done. So that's what I want the listeners of your next stop to really, really do is if you are curious about something, explore it, don't shove it. Don't stuff it. You know, look into it. Why are you curious about that? Is that something you're meant to be doing? Is it your, is it, is it your path? And if it's your path, go for it. And so I, I can't, you know, thank you enough for, for, you know, jumping on and sharing your story. Of course. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been a pleasure. Yes. So you guys, you know what to do. If you like what you heard, rate, review, share. And I'm sure many of you have some ties to some school district. If you have children, get this episode out, share it with the teacher that you know, share it with the principal, share it with school boards, just to get it out and see if it's something they're interested in. Because why not make some changes in other people's lives, be a better person and share, right? If we share things that have have touched us a little bit, it's going to touch the next person. And this is how this podcast grows. And um, I know big things are, are in the future for both of us, right, Georgina? I mean, both of us. So yes. All right. Well, have a great one and we will see you later. Sure. Absolutely. Bye-bye, Julia. I hope you liked this episode of Your Next Stop. Please subscribe to my channel, share with your friends and join in each week. 